Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This was the line to get into the Delaware courthouse where Fox News was set to go on trial this morning. The company was accused of defamation by the Dominion Voting Systems Corporation. Even the sheer number of lawyers showing up for this trial today was impressive. Both the Fox side and the Dominion side looked like they had enough attorneys to form a soccer team, a soccer team in suits. Behind the building, the court erected this mysterious canopy kind of walkway thing, presumably for allowing jurors and high-profile witnesses to enter and exit the courtroom without being spotted, because there were going to be a lot of high-profile witnesses. Inside the court, the lawyers and spectators were reportedly packed in like sardines. Dominion's legal team submitted more than 7,000 exhibits, including videos and transcripts and emails and texts of Fox employees and hosts. Fox submitted more than 5,000 of its own exhibits, including clips from multiple episodes of The Simpsons that portray Homer Simpson voting, one of which quite literally shows a voting machine switching Homer's vote. Again, Fox submitted that as some form of evidence to bolster its case. No comment. The expectation was that this trial would last around six weeks and had the potential to air tons of Fox News's dirty laundry and that it would examine the full extent of Fox's promotion of the big lie. So the whole world was watching to see what the implications would be for the future of Fox News and really the future of news on whole. But before opening arguments could even begin, the whole thing was over. It's Chip Roy and Thomas Massey. All right. Sorry to do that to you, Mark. We're just learning now that Fox and Dominion have indeed settled. How do we spell it out? Well, it was a dramatic ending to what everyone thought was going to be one of the most covered trials of the century, Neil. There was a two-hour behind-closed-door meeting between Judge Eric Davis and lawyers for both sides. There was a lot of speculation about what was going on. The jury had already been selected and seated, and we thought we were going to open arguments. But as it turned out, the two parties were discussing a settlement. I do have a statement from Fox, Neil. We are pleased to have reached a settlement of our dispute with Dominion Voting Systems. We acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. The highest journalistic standards. The case is now over. Fox News and Dominion settled out of court today for an eye-popping 78, seven, not even 78, $787.5 million, which, yes, is less than the $1.6 billion that Dominion had sought at trial, but it is still a gargantuan sum of money. Speaking outside the courthouse afterwards, Dominion's lawyers said the settlement was proof that the truth matters and that lies have consequences. Dominion's CEO said that as part of the settlement, Fox admitted it told lies. But if you read the Fox News statement carefully, you, you would not see the word lie, lying or liars anywhere in it. Quote, we acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. And then Fox continues, this settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. 
As far as we know, nothing in the settlement appears to force Fox News to make any on-air acknowledgement about what they said about Dominion beyond their media reporter reading that statement this afternoon. So what does this mean for Fox News and for a country that continues to grapple with the fallout from a campaign of misinformation about the 2020 election? Joining us now is David Fulkenflick, who is the media correspondent for NPR and author of Murdoch's World, The Last of the Old Media Empires. David was inside the courtroom for today's proceedings. It's good to have you here. Uh, David, I'm sorry you traveled to Delaware for nothing to happen, but I'm glad you were there for the purposes of this show. First, if you could give me a sense about the reaction in the courtroom when this happened. A lot of people were waiting for one of the most high-profile media trials of of this century. Uh, And how was the news about the settlement taken? Well, let me give you a little picture of what it was like inside the courtroom. It was stifling. There were about 200 people in there. That's what the courtroom holds, Uh, mostly lawyers and journalists and a small cluster of attorneys who would come in from the Delaware Legal Aid Society, people who represent the indigent, people who can't afford their own lawyers. They hadn't seen defamation court case before. They wanted to see this one, which was really a once in a generation case that was about to play out. You know, the judge, uh, Eric M. Davis of the Delaware Superior Court, had, you know, really managed this case to a fairly well. When he went out on breaks and said he'd be back at 1135, he was back at 1135. When he said lunch break would be over at 1 p.m., it would be done. He would be at the bench by 1259. In this case, you know, 2 p.m., folks were supposed to come back from lunch and it went on. And it went further and it was an hour. I noticed at three o'clock it was beyond an hour. And suddenly you began to sense something real was happening. It wasn't some minor glitch in terms of an alternate juror or something like that. I'd been speaking to a senior Fox Corporation executive who was in the courtroom. He was talking to me. We were, you know, exchanging friendly asides. He looked down in phone and said, oh, gosh, I got to go. And at that point, I said, there's a settlement. It's about to happen. Um, Okay, so you had a spidey sense and also good intel from inside the courtroom, David. But do you have a sense of how I mean, it feels like the admission of guilt here is the price tag of this settlement. And I wonder to what degree you as a media reporter can surmise the impact that will have inside Fox and in terms of the news gathering culture. Let's not say the news gathering culture, Fox's culture um, at the network and whether or not this changes the way business is done. I think the way to think about this is that there's a three-part concession here by Fox, none of which may be fully satisfying to people who felt that the wrong was uh, profound and needed to be marked for not just the moment, but for history. But nonetheless, you have Fox's acknowledgement that that the court had ruled that false, false statements were made. Listen, that is just a fact. The judge did a lot of the work of Dominion before it by saying these were false statements and these were defamatory. And the only question really left for the jury was, should Hawks be held culpable for that? Secondly, though, you know, Fox having acknowledged that fact as Spartan and as austere as that acknowledgement was, you had Fox settling for this enormous figure. Now, certainly Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch can afford this. Their company can afford it because of the riches that Fox News generates every financial quarter. But nonetheless, it's a huge amount of money that any Fortune 50 company would have to acknowledge uh, as significant. But it was also that that figure was acknowledged publicly. So Dominion can point to both the statement and the size of this settlement, which clearly had to be acknowledged publicly as part of the settlement. 
and say, we were vindicated. We are right. Something wrong happened. Fox had to pay in the high nine figures. It doesn't do that for charity. It's doing that for necessity to stave out an even possibly bigger defamation thing. So what does that mean internally for Fox? Well, we're going to have to watch and see. You know, Fox News did, as you presented to your viewers, quite rightly, acknowledge the statement, as austere as it was, to its audience. So it will be at least aware of that in that limited way. And I think Fox will probably have lawyers sitting on their shoulders for some time to make sure that false and defamatory statements of fact uh, are not presented knowingly to the public on their airwaves. On the other hand, I do not expect the tone to change. I don't expect there to be any dearth of red meat. I don't expect there to be any uh, pullback on the idea of certain culturally conservative grievances presented to the public or the notion that... uh, Former President Donald Trump was treated unfairly by the deep state and by the mainstream media and other elements from Fox, because that's clearly the business model that has worked so well for Fox in recent years. And they see no reason or desire to retreat from that. In fact, the headlong pursuit of that is what got Fox in this trouble in the first place. This remedy will not prevent them from doing that. It'll prevent them from being so specific. So we need to see maybe I could be wrong. You see a wholesale, uh, you know, changing of the guard at Fox over the next uh, six to 18 months. And maybe you will see a difference in tone. But I think that tone will be fairly consistent uh, as the years progress. Yeah, it's hard to imagine Fox giving up the the mantle of the cultural grievance network, uh, especially given the fact that Tucker Carlson was airing a Jan 6 was an inside job special as this Dominion lawsuit was unfolding, it does make you wonder why, if Fox at once has a semi-cavalier attitude towards this and, and apparently can afford to settle, why they waited this long. I mean, it seems like a gross miscalculation in terms of the cultural impact of the discovery phase of this investigation. Do you have any insight into that? Well, as you can imagine, I've been in touch with uh, folks on both sides over the months. And my sense from the body language and the the insights that have been offered, not just in recent days, but over the period is Fox would have been happy to settle. Fox would have been happy. You know, Fox rightly was fearing, you know, Rupert Murdoch, the 92 year old founder of Fox News, uh, appearing in the witness stand in the next day or two uh, to be questioned quite, quite toughly uh, under oath in front of the public rather than in a deposition setting. Uh, and additionally, you know, you would have had some of these top, top names, including Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Janine Perro and Maria Bartiromo, also being testified about what they knew and didn't, what they believed and didn't, whether what they knew what they were presenting to their millions of viewers were not only untrue, but to be lies in the moment. Those are tough, tough things to have to address uh, fully. But, you know, Dominion wasn't interested in settling this case until it had on the record a rather fulsome and complete set of facts, not all that we would have received had the trial gone forward, but nonetheless laying out for the public and for the nation the degree to which there was cynicism and fear of losing an audience that was driving that were driving Fox's decisions, not some sort of journalistic imperative that happened to be mistaken. And so Dominion accomplished both of its aims in a sense. It wanted vindication and it wanted there to be a public record of what went awry, of looking under the rock and seeing how Fox acted in this time of crisis. And to a great degree, Dominion achieved that, even if it didn't get all that it was seeking. So, you know, Fox News wanted to pay to make this go away. The Murdochs have a record of 
brushing such things off. They can afford the greatest litigators in the country and have hired them again and again, in this case from Winston and Strom, led by Dan Webb, uh, one of the most feared corporate litigators in, in, in the United States. But they were happy ultimately to pay and pay more than they've ever paid in a single settlement to stop the bleeding, to stop the revelations and to stop the attentions of news organization for your and yours and mine and many others from focusing on Fox and how they behaved and their knowing presentation of false facts to their millions of viewers. David Folkenflik, NPR's media correspondent who was inside the room today. David, thanks you for your time. Great to see you. Joining us now is a man who has spent several of the past years crisscrossing the country and speaking to conservative voters, many of them very likely Fox News viewers. The Daily Show's Jordan Klepper, who is taking over the reins as a guest host host of The Daily Show this week. Wow, indeed. Jordan, it is great to have you. Thank you for joining me at this desk. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, So I I guess I, I would love to know, as someone who has been in the trenches and understands what is sort of erupting in the center of this country, the schism that seems to be breaking apart uh, these United States. When it comes to Fox and its troubles, this is not something you hear a lot about on Fox News, right? Mm-hmm. We played that tape. It's the Fox media reporter, Howard Kurtz, like sort of mentioned it mm-hmm. and then it was gone. And it begs the question, if a tree falls in the forest and only Howard Kurtz makes mention of it for 10 seconds, did it actually happen? Did anyone hear it? That age old adage. <laughs> age old adage. Um, but in terms of, you know, the folks you have talked to in and out, in and around sort of conservative gatherings, do they is it really is it really as extreme as if it is not covered exhaustively and with fury and passion in conservative media, it does not exist in the outside world? Is that the sense that you got? Yeah. In a nutshell, yes. I mean, as far as this Dominion case here, first of all, I'm not 100 percent convinced Rudy Giuliani is not going to have a press conference tomorrow saying we can still win this thing. <laughs> right. So, Well, there's always that alternative. It universe. might happen. It's definitely in this world. And that you see this full throated acknowledgement from Fox News. I don't think that's going to resonate with a lot of the people that I talk to. Uh, it's no secret we are within these bubbles. And quite frankly, over the last year, the folks that I talked to out on the road have moved on from Fox News. They already got the results they did not like from Fox News. Mild <laughs> distrust of the uh, of Donald Trump not winning the election uh, caused so many folks to move over to news that was more comforting to them. The Newsmax, the OANs. So I see something like this and this question of, will there be a reckoning? Will there be an understanding? And quite frankly, what there is, is there's a go-to for many people just to find the narrative that they That works for them. Mm -hmm. And it really sounds like from the evidence and discovery that we got that the the real piercing fear on the part of Fox News executives that they were losing their audience, that if they didn't give them the good news they wanted, that the, you know, calling Arizona for Biden, being the first to do that was a real problem for them. That was not misplaced fear that, in fact, the audience was saying, I'm turning the channel because I don't like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Did they do you get the sense that these these folks who used to be maybe perhaps Fox adherents and they're now watching OANN or Newsmax or what wherever they're getting their news from, that they realize they're looking for comfort or do they think that it's it's an issue of truth or is it both? Well, I, I don't know if they fully realize it's comfort that they seek. Right. Um, I think there's a misunderstanding of what they watch on Fox. I think seeing this as news, especially seeing that later hour, not as entertainment, but as news is a misinformation gap that we that is that is crumbling so many parts of this country right now. 
I think more often than not, not to bring everything back to Donald Trump, but gosh yeah. darn, it's been two minutes. We need to get it back there. Uh, he, he infected the brains of so many folks of distrust. Yeah. Uh, the media, it's the enemy of the people. He was the number one guy, the most famous person this planet has ever seen. The media, enemy of the people. The media, enemy of the people. The media, enemy of the people. Now this media is telling you something you don't like. Cool. Well, I don't need to trust them. I've been given permission by the most powerful man on the earth right. to say that I don't need to trust it right there. And so I don't see these people reckoning with like, oh, I probably should. No, they've been given permission not to. And why not? If you trust that person, yeah. the person who we have agreed to put in a position of power, if that person tells you, don't believe the things you hear, trust me over here. Well, then you get a January 6th. You get these moments to find someone else. And I think I think distrust is actually is healthy in a working society. Misplaced distrust is dangerous. Yeah, which it's really a profound thing to focus on. The idea that Trump gave folks a permission slip effectively to only do the things they wanted to say, the things they wanted to believe the things that made them feel good without explicitly saying that it was kind of like a hall pass for only only doing the stuff that feels good to you. Everyone else be damned. He consistently lowered that bar. We, we lose sight of that. My first interaction with Trump supporters had was it was around the Obama birtherism conspiracy, yeah. a conspiracy that was embarrassing for anybody to talk on camera about. You wouldn't do that in, in polite uh, company. After Donald Trump made that thing something you could say on TV, yeah. folks were more than happy to share with me. Now, I don't think he implanted that idea in a lot of people's heads, but he lowered the bar of what's acceptable there. If, if our culture, if our TV, if our entertainment puts this guy on this pedestal and he's able to say this, then why can't somebody else? And I think that has had uh, an, an effect in, in all things, especially this. The um, You mentioned that you started... Um doing this work before Trump was elected, right? And, and and late the latter half of the Obama presidency, I remember just being acutely aware of the way in which the well was being poisoned slowly, or the frog was, the temperature on the frog in the pot was increasing, right? And then it reaches just a crescendo, an inflection point with the election of Trump. And I guess I wonder, is there anything that would suggest to you that the temperature can once again be turned down? Because I look at the road ahead, right? We have Trump is running for president again. 2024 is going to be a knife fight in a phone booth in the Republican primary. Uh, and the the potential criminal indictment of the former president the, on the current one from the Manhattan DA, but you have other investigations. Let, all of this lends itself to a very combustible environment. And I wonder, how do we prepare for that as, as news people, as journalists, as citizens? I mean, or is it a foregone conclusion that half the country is just never going to believe what's actually happening in the real world? No, it's not a foregone conclusion. Our leaders can lead. I think spines on the right can do a lot of good yeah. in this country. But you think that they can make, because I guess my question would be, if they're giving up on Fox News, the sure. folks you're talking to, mm -hmm. then what would it matter if Ted Cruz came out one day and said, you know what, this has all been a lie? What would it matter if Mike Pence went and said in his you know, testimony to the grand jury, this guy totally incited an insurrection, you know, I mean, what does any of it matter if they'll give up, they'll give up on the very people who are or are telling them the news about these these come to Jesus moments? I think two things. I think one, we crave teachers to give us direction, uh -huh. and so I don't think anybody wants to listen to Ted Cruz. And, and <laughs> but frankly, Ted Cruz and a hundred of his buddies are in a position of power that suddenly make Donald Trump the outsider in that way. I think you need a majority of a party to make a choice that's outside of what Donald Trump is. We ha there are no spines on that side that 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 give anybody any indication that what we see here is is has any negative impact on this country or 
What has to happen is embarrassment with Donald Trump. I talked to Adam Kinzinger and what he told me what he thought could happen. And I don't know if I could say this on cable TV, but Donald Trump needs to essentially poop his pants. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a joke, but what it is, is embarrassing to the point that there's humiliation. No it's complete humiliation. And I think you saw that with the midterms. Oh, Donald Trump might not be a winner. Huh. I built my identity around a man who I the see winner. as a winner through and through. And everybody tells me in my community that he's a winner. Oh, he lost in the midterms. Well, that's something I that can probably work around. But you see the hesitation. They open up the door for DeSantis. What you need is humiliation around Donald Trump. And it's not going to be a revelation what happened to his past. He's already given us plenty of things that could be a humiliation. But what is humiliating is a bunch of people with spines who used to be with you who say, too much, bro. We're moving on to something else. That that could change the temperature. It would have to be a lot of people, though. It would have to be a lot of people. It would have to be like a groundswell of conservatives coming yeah, up yeah. and saying, you're a loser. Sure. But if those guys who claim patriotism right. and, and, and have those flag pins, if they looked themselves in the mirror, looked at that flag pin and was like, I care about this country, yeah. grow a spine, tell this man who's hurting it what is happening, and maybe, maybe people will listen to you. Do you think... Um, I wonder if the if the loser part of it, the humiliation part of it, actually cuts to the core of the psyche around the folks who want to believe in Trump, who who you know at one point listened to Fox News and maybe are li- listening to even more conservative fare these days. That part of the sort of central promise of that kind of ideology and that kind of media diet is the belief is is it it, it offers you a way to feel good about yourself, mm-hmm. and that it makes you feel bigger and better than everyone else. And the minute you are not uh, surrounded by winners, hearing the, you know, digesting the pablum of another winner, the minute you start tuning it out. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm talking to people at rallies who are wearing capes. They feel like Superman. I mean, Superman. who among us, Jordan? We should be wearing capes. It feels so good to, to wear capes. And I get that. I think it's the magic trick he pulled is we're not talking politics with Donald Trump. People identify with him. They identify with the MAGA movement. You can have a conversation with somebody about things they want. That's what politics is. You want this. I want this. Can we meet in the middle somewhere? You can't have conversations with the people about who they are because that's unchangeable. You are protective of that. The MAGA movement, this is who people are. And that that's a really difficult place. We're not trying to find some middle ground about what you want. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change who you see as yourself. Yeah. So that takes a big movement. Spines help. So I'm hoping maybe that's the direction. You can see a spine in a mirror when you're looking at it to find out who you are. I don't even know what I mean. There's a metaphor in there. I don't know. But as soon as you said that, I'm like, no, you're going to see your body before the uh, skeleton. You'd see your face before your spine. This is why I am not uh, guest hosting The Daily Show this week. You know, I'm still I'm getting used to it. right? Why are you here? How can you be here? I am thirsty for television. You know, I got got four days out of The Daily Show. I'm like, what could I get? We are so thankful that you are thirsty. (laughs) Please come back and drink from this well any anytime you would like. I will stop at your table anytime. Thank you. (laughs) Many metaphors. (laughs) This week's guest host for a thing called The Daily Show, Jordan Klepper. Good to see you. Thank you. Coming up, the Missouri prosecutor investing the shooting of Ralph Yarl says there was a racial component to the attack. We will discuss what lies at the heart of that case with the president of the NAACP coming up. Plus, a new filing from Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis hints that some of Georgia's fake electors may potentially be cooperating with her investigation. That is next. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Democratic Party electors met right up there in the Senate chambers. They are official, they are certified, and they voted for Joe Biden. But Georgia Republicans, they met at exactly the same time, right behind those closed doors. They are not official, not certified. They still met. They chose Donald Trump. And their actions did not go unnoticed. Those 16 Georgia Republicans who cosplayed as Trump electors, they were informed last summer that they are targets in a Fulton County criminal probe. District Attorney Fonnie Willis has been largely focused on Donald Trump and his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. And today we learn that some of those fake electors have been offered immunity, although not all of them apparently knew that. Today, Ms. Willis filed a motion seeking to disqualify an attorney named Kimberly burroughs Debro. Kimberly burroughs Debro currently represents 10 of the fake electors in this case, which is a lot of fake electors to represent. We learned in the filing that the judge ordered Ms. Debro to have a conversation with her clients about a potential immunity deal last year. And D.A. Willis's office claims that contrary to what was said in court, Ms. Debro and her then co-counsel Holly Pearson apparently did not share that information with at least some of those 10 fake electors. In a statement that was released within the past hour, Ms. Debro called the DA's motion baseless, false, and offensive and added, I have ethically and professionally represented my clients at all times and I will continue to do so. So there remains a very big question about what kind of counsel Ms. Debro was offering her clients. And then there is this. The filing also claims that in recent meetings with Ms. Willis's office, some of the fake electors accused another fake elector one of the clients of Mr. Bro, they accuse that elector of further crimes. Now, what those further crimes are, we do not know. Something may be beyond what Ms. Willis has investigated thus far, which is, well, now you have my intention. And the DA says that that assertion creates a conflict of interest. Some clients who may be cooperating with the DA's office are levying charges against another client who is presumably not cooperating with the DA's office. And all of them are being represented by Kimberly burroughs Debro. You can see how that could create some issues if those defendants all have the same lawyer. The DA's office says that Debro's representation of those 10 false electors has become an impracticable and ethical mess. And oh, by the way, Kimberly burroughs Debro is reportedly being paid by the Georgia Republican Party. There are reports that she received over $200,000 from the state GOP. 
Joining us now is Michael Moore, former U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Georgia. Michael, thanks for being here. It's always good to see you. I wonder if you you are reading this the same way, that some of these fake electors may be cooperating with the DA's office. Is that what we should infer from this? Well, I'm glad to be with you. I'm not sure that I think it's necessarily a cooperation at this point. I mean, we can tell from the motion that was filed that the there was some interview that was given and their lawyer was present. And if these folks are saying, well, we didn't know about immunity, that tells me that uh, there's no deal on the table and there may not be a cooperation effort there. One thing to kind of keep in mind is this is really the second time that the district attorney's office has tried to, to disqualify the lawyers for this same group of people. And it's getting to be a little bit like when you run into a brick wall and you can't get around it. The only thing you can do is tear it down. And it seems like maybe that's what is going on here. So um, I can't tell if they're cooperating. I think that there's some, you know, some language in the pleading that makes me, you know, question, you know, what the real conflict may be. And one of those things deals with the additional crime that you talked about. You know, we don't know if that simply means one of the fake electors saying, well, they signed it twice and I only signed it once. Well, that would be a separate crime if that's the case. You know, that could arguably be additional criminal conduct that one may be saying they weren't involved in. So we we just don't know a lot yet. But the the timing of this is interesting, um, you know, given that things have been so quiet in in the Fulton County case since the New York indictment. Can we talk about the timing here? Because it sounds like there is discussion around plea bargains, if not actual execution of them. So what does that signal to you about the Fulton County investigation? Well, I, I do think that probably the DA here sat down and took note after the criticism of the of the New York indictment, you know, where basically the, the indictment was criticized for not being detailed enough, laying out enough information as it related to specific allegations of what crimes were involved. And so I think, you know, you may be seeing some cleaning up there. But this seems to be just, um, you know, as we continue to go on further uh, in, into this idea that, that the DA here is looking for a, a RICO charge or a conspiracy charge, more of a, a concerted effort that she's alleging about uh, the election and, and, and a group of people. Uh, that may or may not come to pass, but that certainly seems to be where, where she's headed. That'd be the only reason she'd be continuing to talk to these these fake electors at this point. So, you know, where, where it may stand, you know, I don't know, but I will tell you that it, it when you have a case and and you you have to sort of untangle the the, the defendants from their lawyers in order to try to get the information that you need to prove your case, you know that's sometimes a, a, a moment to pause and think about you know the strength of the underlying case anyway. So um, we'll see. Uh, I appreciate the fact that they raised the ethical and professional uh, responsibilities of lawyers and the duties of confidentiality. We recognize those and those are, are, are sacrosanct. It, it's a little bit of an irony here because the, the body, the prosecutors filing this motion, they're trying to put people in jail. But at the same time, they're talking about, you know, we, we want to protect their rights. And, and that's a good thing. Um, but but nonetheless, it, it is a little bit ironic. I don't know. It seems sort of interesting to me that one lawyer paid for by the Georgia Republican Party is representing 10 people who may be key to proving a RICO charge. Well, and and that can create an inherent conflict. But again, this is the second bite at the apple for the DA's office. Uh, Judge McBurney heard these same similar motions. Uh, It dealt with, at the time, the chairman of the state GOP and how that was going to play out. Uh, And and those groups were divided. The one individual was separated from the other uh, potential defendants or at least uh, targets or subjects or persons of interest in the investigation uh, as we're going forward. 
Um, but clients have a right to choose which lawyer they want to represent them. Now, that has to be done in, in, with full knowledge of what the consequences may be, being advised that there may be other problems or potential confidentiality issues that may arise and how you deal with that. And, and it's important that the clients are advised of that. Um, at the same time, they have that right. There are certain circumstances. The DA is right in this. There are certain circumstances where it's just an untenable situation and you can't advise them. But, you know, you can imagine a case where you have a group of people. They've all been it sent a, a target letter, been called in and brought before the grand jury. And the lawyer is just saying, let's just not talk, you know, that without sort of without the first domino fall. And they don't have any of it. Mm. Uh, and, and I imagine those kinds of discussions that are going on uh, in the defense camp. So, again, there's nothing wrong with the idea of protecting uh, potential defendants' rights. That's a, that's a good thing. At the same time, that's going to be balanced by the court about uh, the, the idea and, and, and really a, a sacrosanct uh, choice that a defendant has to have a lawyer of his or her choosing represent them. Michael Moore, thank you as always for your time this evening. I do appreciate it. We have more to come tonight. The white man in Missouri who shot a black teenager for ringing his doorbell says he fired his gun because he was scared. And in Missouri, as in about 30 other states with standard ground laws, that alone could be enough for him to avoid conviction. That's next. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We are challenged just walking while black, eating while black, swimming while black, living while black, driving while black is a problem. And now we can't even walk up to someone's door and ring a doorbell without fear of being murdered. You have heard this horror story too many times before. A black teenager is out doing a mundane task. In 2012, it was a quick trip to a convenience store. The teenager was 17, and he was on his way back to his father's place with a bottle of juice and a bag of Skittles. He was wearing a hoodie, and he was black. His name was Trayvon Martin. And a 28-year-old neighbor, George Zimmerman, claimed he was acting in self-defense when he shot Trayvon. There had been a series of robberies in the area, and Zimmerman said he shot Trayvon because he was afraid. He feared bodily harm. Months passed before Zimmerman was actually arrested and charged for killing Trayvon Martin. He wasn't charged on the spot because police said they couldn't disprove Zimmerman's version of the events, that he was defending himself, that he stood his ground. After weeks of protesters sounding the alarm, George Zimmerman was finally charged with second-degree murder. Eventually, he was acquitted. 
In 2020, it was an afternoon jog in a coastal Georgia town. The jogger was 25 years old. He was black. His workout caught the attention of three local men who grabbed their guns and hopped in a truck and began to follow the jogger. The men said there had been a string of robberies in the area. They said they were scared. They thought the jogger was the thief. The jogger was Ahmad Arbery. Three men chased him down and two of them shot him dead. Still, they also walked away from that shooting as free men. They claimed they were defending themselves under the state's stand your ground laws. More than 10 weeks passed before those men were arrested. They were eventually convicted of murder. Stand your ground laws exploded after 2012 when George Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin. Now more than 30 states have laws that do away with the idea that people have a duty to retreat from a dangerous situation that they encounter at their home or even in some public spaces. Instead, a person who reasonably believes they are in danger of death or serious harm can use deadly force. But that law tends to exacerbate some potentially fatal racial disparities. First, there is the fundamental question of whose presence in this country is often deemed suspicious or questionable and whose rarely is. And then there's the how the law is applied. When white Americans in a standard ground state, when white Americans shoot a black person dead and claim self-defense, the killing is ruled a justifiable homicide 34% of the time. But when the races are reversed, when it is a black shooter and a white victim, that rate plummets. Only 3% of those homicides are deemed justifiable. Which brings us to last week, April 14th. It was a quick trip to pick up his little twin brothers, both 11 years old. He was 16 years old, and he rang the doorbell, but he had the wrong address for the house in Kansas City, Missouri, another state with a stand-your-ground law. The white homeowner, Andrew Lester, claims he thought it was a break-in and he was scared to death due to the male's size and his own advanced age, 84. For the record, the male in this case is a high school student named Ralph Yarl. Lester claims that because he was scared to death, he immediately shot Yarl in the head through a glass door. Yarl was taken to the hospital where he received surgery to remove the bullets. He was finally released over the weekend and is now recovering at home. Andrew Lester, for his part, was detained the night of the shooting, but then he was released hours later with no charges. He claimed self-defense in a standard ground state. After a weekend of protests, Lester was finally charged yesterday with felony assault and armed criminal action. This afternoon, he turned himself in. And as of tonight, he is out on bail. His arraignment is scheduled for tomorrow. Lester's decision to shoot Ralph Yarl follows a pattern in standard ground states, a white gunman who shoots a black child or a young man because of misplaced suspicion and fear. In the case of George Zimmerman, the law kept Zimmerman out of prison. We have yet to see what will happen in Andrew Lester's case, but we will have more on the pursuit of accountability with the president of the NAACP coming up next. This was the scene just a few hours ago in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Hundreds of people gathered outside the police department calling for justice for 16-year-old shooting victim Ralph Yarl. Earlier today, more than 1,000 students walked out of Staley House School in, in a unity march chanting, We love you, Ralph. Yarl was shot in the head and in the arm after knocking on the wrong door. He was then turned away from three different homes in that neighborhood before anyone agreed to help him. 
Joining us now is Derek Johnson, president and CEO of the NAACP. Mr. Johnson, thank you for joining me tonight. I just how what does it say about America in the year 2023 that this young man was shot for ringing the wrong doorbell and that he had to go to three houses before anyone would open the door and help him as he lay there bleeding? It's not safe to be black in America. That's what it says. Uh, this is a child. Uh, we may want to say want to say he's a young man, but he's a child who has done well in school, appears to be a model and a friend to many of his peers in school, and simply got the wrong address. Uh, for my children, my 17-year-old, my 15-year-old, uh, is, again, another talk. Be careful what door you walk up to to ring the bell because the unfortunate reality of racism may cause harm. Uh, it is a sad state for us to be in in 2023. I just wonder if the talk could be probably just distilled to something simpler, which is don't go anywhere and don't do anything. I mean, it seems impossible to ask black children to not ring the wrong doorbell or to just have to drive in the most perfect way possible. And even if you're doing that, that may not be enough. I mean, at this point, it seems like the message is explicit to a certain section of this country, which is you don't belong here. And if you do feel like you belong here, you may get killed. We've got three problems with this country. We have the rash of gun violence and without sensible gun control. That's public policy we must address. We have the unresolved issue of racism in this country. That's a problem that must be addressed. And then we have super spreader platforms on social media and unfortunately Fox News along with local news channel that in, impregnate concepts of the fear of black people and black men. Uh, we have to address those things. The concept of, of watching a new local news in the first seven minutes outside of, 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 of the weather is all about negative portrayals of black people and you give the name of the community. That creates a level of fear and other, othering that caused people to respond in the most negative and heinous ways against black people. And we're continuously having these same type stories. And unfortunately, we must do something about it because we have not done anything about it to date. Well, and there's also legislation that supports an othering, right? I mean, it just seems like stand your ground. We cited stats in the previous segment about how disproportionately uh, black uh, victims are treated, or shall I say white shooters are treated under the law when they execute or try and execute black victims as compared to the inverse, which is black shooters and white victims. Do you think that the, the sort of explicitly racial outcome of laws like standard ground, that that racial outcome is actually the point of standard ground laws that have been adopted by 30 states in this country? But it is part of the effort of the gun industry to make people feel empowered by having guns in their hands and to feel as if they're protecting their castle. This was an example of a young man who rung a doorbell. The, the door was closed. There was no uh, present and clear danger. Here's a young man who simply lost his way and an 84-year-old behind his door had no reason to believe that his life was under threat other than listen, watching a Fox News or list, looking at the social media platforms or local news that continuously portray 
us as negative, as, as violent. How we are seen on the screen is how we are treated in the streets and in public policy. We must change the portrayal on new segments and we must enact public policy to address gun violence and to address racism. Derek Johnson, president of the NAACP. Thank you for joining me tonight, Mr. Johnson. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. That is our show for tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 